How We Got Here is once again presented by the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. Journey through Virginia's rich history and discover hidden treasures. You can learn more at virginiahistory.org. This podcast is also sponsored by the Library of Virginia, where collections of more than 129 million items tell the stories of Virginians to nearly 4 million people yearly. Find Virginia history at lva.virginia.gov. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of How We Got Here, Behind the Sound Season 3. I'm your host, Rachel DePampa, and I am so excited to be joined on Zoom, 21st Century Technology, by Digital Director Kate Albright. Hi, Kate. You gotta speak. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> We are also joined by everyone's favorite producer, Colton, executive producer, Colton Weekly. Glowing intro, did not get my title right. Thanks, Rachel. All of our listeners know you as producer Colton when I call on you in the middle of a story randomly. That's true. I just know him as the guy who swears a lot in the newsroom. That's also true. (laughs) Not recently. It's my own kitchen these days. Thank you very much. And that brings us to why we are on Zoom right now. We were just chugging along on this little podcast that could. We were collecting interviews, we were writing, we had this great system going. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of March, like the rest of the world, the pandemic hit. Honestly, I knew we would still get it done because you would make us. So (laughs) I wasn't worried. I did worry a little bit about the quality. Our goal was to do all the third season, all in-person interviews, because obviously it sounds so much better, which we were doing a really great job at until every all this happened. Uh, so I was concerned about our, you know, kind of self-made goal of all in-person interviews. But I think that uh, those last couple episodes where we had uh, one phone interview and a Zoom interview, I think they turned out fine. Yeah, I knew Rachel would just pressure us to do it anyway, so we did it. I sound really hardcore. What are you guys saying? But Rachel's just a really easy target. I don't know why it's been like that my whole life. Help. (laughs) 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 We are all feeling this like everybody else. And we kind of wanted to bring a little bit of joy to other people or something to listen to and learn and you know kids can learn from this podcast too we hear from a lot of teachers Kate you know we really had this goal of okay we're in this situation let's give people something to do yeah I mean I think we all knew that maybe our listens would be down because people aren't in the car people aren't going to work people aren't going shopping or traveling but they still have a lot of time on their hands and we love telling the story, so why wait? And one thing with this podcast kind of that we said at first was there's not going to be a time limit on these episodes. But in season one, we kept everything around a half an hour. In season two, we we're like, oh, we can push the envelope a little bit, maybe 40 minutes. Wouldn't that be something? In season three, uh, I, this is probably mostly due to me, but I, we just blew the top off of that. And we had at least two, if not three or four episodes that went over an hour. 
you know, was nice for me because I just let the creative writing flow. Uh, I know Rachel liked that less because she had way more editing and Kate even more or less because she had to finesse more of Rachel's editing at the end of the process. I think us breaking the mold on kind of our own self-imposed time restriction kind of helped here in season three. And I, I do think that we had the stories to do it with. It's easy to take a story that's maybe not so interesting and stretch it too long and it's just really bland and boring. But I think the stories that we wrote long, I think we're deserving of uh, kind of the time that they got. Kate, what was your favorite story so far that you've heard? Cause she still hasn't edited episode six, everyone, as we record this. This season is really hard. This season was really solid. The first episode, I was really shocked. So just so the listeners know, I try to stay out of it as much as possible until the very end. So usually when I'm doing the final edit, it's the first time that I'm hearing the stories. So I'm listening to it the first time, and I think all of episode one was my favorite until I listened to episode two. My Gorman is just fantastic, and I couldn't, like, that one took me really long to edit, not because it was difficult, but just because I continued to listen to his sound bites over and over again. There was the thing with the thing. And then the thing! The thing. But no matter what, the thing happened. <laughs> Whether it was the Navy or the Army that did the thing that made the thing happen, the thing happened. I think just because Mike Gorman told me that story, I all, all of a sudden, like, I'd never heard of that battle, you know, and learning about the Civil War. But now, if someone asks me, like, you know, turning point of the Civil War, there's obviously, like, Gettysburg is the easy answer. But Drury's Bluff, with a few dozen Chesterfield artillerymen, turned away the Union, who, as Mike Gorman said, brought up this laser technology in nowadays terms up the James and turned him away. Mike Gorman just tells a story. He could talk to me about paint drying and how fast it was going and I would be enthralled the entire time. This is the exact reason though of why I love our podcast and why I like the topics we chose because we're learning along with all of our listeners. I never heard of Drury's Club. Minnesotan. Oh, that's right, everyone. There's two Minnesotans in this Zoom interview. I'm not one of them. As you all know, I'm from Maryland and make that very known throughout the entire podcast. Wait, one more time. Where are you from? That's how we say it. Merlin. <laughs> A lesser state that starts with an M. We, we get it, Rachel. Move Hello, on. we have the best flag in the nation. Look it up. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. We're all obsessed with it. My favorite story in episode one was, hands down, John Wilkes Booth. Obviously, there's the Maryland tie there that I really enjoyed, but Andrew Talkoff was amazing with the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. He brought that story to life. About halfway through, I, I realized I was almost out of breath. Like, I know how this story ends, but I still wanted to know the next moment. And I was the one that wrote that one. So, like, I knew where I was going, but when you're listening to it, it was just so much fun to listen to. I still can't believe how I made it my entire life without knowing that he escaped after killing the President of the United States. The largest manhunt in American history. 
there is a tinge of worry when Rachel says, I want, I want to write this segment because I'm worried it's going to turn into a consumer investigative reporter piece with historical facts kind of sprinkled in. And I knew this post story was going to be incredible. When she got out of that interview with Mr. Talcoff, she said that he was fantastic. And so I hoped that that meant good things. And then what did I say after I listened to it? I was like, Colton, you're really getting good at this writing thing. <laughs> yeah, that was only a that was only a dagger to my psyche, but uh... <laughs> the line though, lighting Lincoln into legend. We focus so much on endings, Rachel and I. We spend almost as much time on the last five sentences as we do as the previous fifty. And we really try to tie that bow at the end to give you the full kind of wrap of, you know, the story that we're telling and the research that we did as a way to kind of stick with you long after you're done listening to the episode. I got the most response from people in that episode, though, about Ella Fitzgerald. That is because more people reached out to me with one simple line. I didn't know she was a Virginian. As we were researching for season three, I said this is going in episode one, because like you said, I think that's not totally very well known. And I uh, found a great character in B.J. Brown with the Richmond Jazz Society. She was fantastic. I uh, got to meet up with her before the pandemic, so that was a, a fun interview with her. You know, hearing her memories from even from being a little girl in Richmond's West End, uh, she really painted a great picture, I think, kind of the impact that Ella Fitzgerald had on, on jazz. I mean, the, the first lady of song. Episode two, we had some phenomenal storytellers in this episode. I want to start with Mark Reno, the capital calamity, because we all love hearing these stories about what happened at our capital that's still sitting there, still beautiful, still pristine. One of our sponsors, the Library of Virginia, had, they had put something up kind of on this day in Virginia history. And I went to Rachel and said, this is going to, we have to do this. You know, so who better to talk to than the historian at the capital, Mark Reno. You know, and then of course he takes me to the best spot in the house, right in the chamber, which was below where all of this happened. He's got a very unique voice that really came through as he was reading some of the first-hand accounts from that day. The one that he read that started off the episode, as he was doing it, I thought to myself, this is how I'm starting this, because there's no way that Rachel or any other sound could have been as good as how he described that. Nobody understood what was about to happen. Nobody saw this disaster, this calamity, happening until it did. The phenomenal Frank O'Reilly. The first time we had him was on season two, and we interviewed him over the phone. We understood what kind of storyteller he was, how phenomenal, and we said, we have to get him in person. And he was gracious enough to come to the station and meet me we chatted for a little bit, and then Colton did a phenomenal interview with him. And what an amazing story. Actually, two stories we got out of him. With Mr. O'Reilly, you know, Rachel always got really upset with me. You might remember from other season, episode sevens, me doing long interviews that she has to then log and go through before I write them. With Frank O'Reilly, we sat in our the old sub-control at the station. Before I knew it, I looked down and it, an hour and a half had gone by and I feared the wrath of Rachel from that moment on. 
I literally, when he came over to me, I was like looking at my watch, looking at him. He's just leaving. It's been an hour. I am not logging this. But then I said, Rachel, I think we can get two stories out of this. And she lightened up a little bit. And then after she kind of listened to some of it, I mean, another master storyteller, Frank O'Reilly. It was the bloodiest battle that the Union Army of the Potomac and the Confederate Army of Northern Virginia had ever had up to that date. I think as a tribute too to the National Park Service and some of the historians that they have, Mike Gorman and Frank O'Reilly. Uh, Frank O'Reilly up in Spotsylvania, Mike Gorman here in Richmond. I mean, these guys know what they're doing. They know how to tell a story, but they're not just pulling it out of thin air. These are facts. These are places around us where these things have happened and these guys know how to tell it to you in a way that is engaging, that is interesting, that will stick with you for some time. It's facts mixed with passion. Whenever I listen to those two men, it just makes me so happy because it's like, oh, there are people who enjoy their jobs out there. They obviously read letters and journals between the soldiers and they do such a good job in turning that into how people were feeling at the time based in truth but they tell it in a way that they're not just saying, I have this letter, let's listen to what this person said and they just read it. I mean, they bring so much fire and passion to what they say. I have to thank Karen Cherry, Dr. Karen Cherry, because time and time again, we go to her with the topics that are just not easy to talk about. And she does such a wonderful job of putting them into context and just being frank and real about this happened. We all like to gloss over and just think of the moments in history that are joyful or we want to celebrate, but it's so important to look at these difficult times in our past. I thought this was the one where she'd be like, mm, no, sorry. But you know, she was like, nope, I can talk on that. I mean, forced sterilization is not a topic that I think anyone is like, oh yeah, I'll volunteer to chat about that, please. You know, come on, come on over. The horrors of it and having a base in Virginia, like Rachel said, there's a lot of good to talk about from what came up, you know, what has happened in Virginia, but wow, is there a lot of bad too. There was decades of forced sterilization, not only in Virginia, but across the country, thousands of people. and. And that horrible story about one of uh, Carrie Buck's relatives who didn't even know that she had been sterilized. She was told she was having an appendectomy. Honestly, when I thought about forced sterilization and just eugenics as a whole, I thought about the Nazi regime, not the United States of America. Let's talk about episode three. We bring back Frank O'Reilly to talk about the death of Stonewall Jackson, which was a fascinating story. One that I never thought I would tell or knew much about. I'm really glad I know this because it humanizes people and war is war and there's many sides to it. And as we learned in an earlier episode with Robert E. Lee and his decision to leave the U.S. Army and go to the Confederates had a lot to do with his family and his sons in Virginia. I never knew that. I thought that was fascinating. You know, we always put these blanket statements on things like, oh, well, this is this and this is this, or this is the North and this is the South. But there's so much gray in everything. It's not all black and white. That death was the segment that I finished and I was texting Rachel as I was editing it, wondering why I had so many emotions. But it really boils down to what you were saying. These were people on both sides who had different beliefs. 
enough to make them go to war or enough to make politicians send them to war, I think is a better way to think about it. As a Minnesotan, again, this goes back to like my lack of knowledge of the Civil War. Born and raised so far north of the Mason-Dixon line, you learn the Civil War in a different way. You're taught it in schools in a much different way, so I have found, than people who grew up in the South. And I just didn't know anything good about this man named Robert E. Lee and the fact that he was so good that they wanted him to lead Union troops but he thought, no, I can't be fighting against my cousins and my family, and I have to represent the area of this country that I was born and raised in. It is very interesting, and that again, it tugged at my heartstrings in a way that I was not expecting. It tugs at you because it's also, you know, he was also saying, I can't fight against Virginians. I can't right. raise my weapon against my own fellow citizens. I love my state or my commonwealth. You know, it's really interesting when you think of it that way as to why somebody joins one side over the other. Not something that's widely talked about in history. It's so complex, I guess, that it's something that you don't often think about. And if you do think about it, you kind of find yourself going down what we like to call a how we got here rabbit hole in your own brain. Also in episode three, Secretariat. And Colton, you got to go to Meadow Event Park and interview Leanne Layden, a historian, the tour supervisor there. She's amazing. Yeah, she was fantastic. And we actually shot that as a TV story for sports director Mark Davis to use. You hear the word Secretariat and you knew what it was about. If you're not a baseball fan, you know who Bay Ruth is. If you're not a basketball fan, you know who Michael Jordan is. Horse racing, that's Secretariat. I did not know that he was born 40 minutes away from downtown Richmond in Caroline County. Leanne brought out the starting bell. She had, we, we were lucky enough that she opened up all of these like locked cases inside this, uh, like kind of this mansion there. She pulls out this kind of rusted bell on this wooden platform. This is the original starter's bell from the Meadow training track. That bell taught Secretariat in Riva Ridge how to jump out of the starting gate. And that was like, I kind of stood there and was like, this is like a sporting relic that has to be worth God knows how much money. And she's just casually taking it out of like a display case, setting it on the table, like here it is. And she even like rang the bell. So the bell that you hear in that episode is the actual starter's bell. The heart size. I'm still thinking about it weeks later. I mean, it was like three times the heart of a normal horse. As Leanne put it, eight, or eight to 10 pounds was a normal horse and Secretariat's was like 22 or 23. And it was perfectly, like there wasn't anything wrong. It wasn't like one valve wasn't bigger than another. Perfectly anatomically correct, but just absolutely enormous. I think what I like the most is at the end when you learn that the legacy of this horse and the horses that we know today, the triple crown winners we've seen today that come from that horse. That to me was the most astounding thing I learned. So I want to talk about something else in episode four. My most favorite line 
something that you've written, Colton, that I just think is amazing. The man who heralded the institution of slavery was about to know the feeling of being shackled in chains. I don't think that there's a better way to capture a moment in history, that juxtaposition of what someone is known for versus what they were about to feel. It was just an amazing line that really resonated with me, and I think probably with a lot of our listeners. There are certain lines, I think Rachel and I can both attest to this, that you write, whether it's in the middle of a segment like this one was, or if it's one of our final lines like lighting Lincoln into legend. But that one for me, with Jeff Davis, you know, arriving to Fort Monroe and Hampton, and a couple days later, the blacksmith showing up with what he needed to put the former president of the Confederacy into chains. I have a thing for these stories about the slave turned spy, because I think that that is something we don't know enough about. They're such amazing stories. I loved the James Lafayette story in season two, and I really love the Mary Jane Richards story told by the phenomenal Kelly Hancock with the American Civil War Museum at Historic Tredegar. It was such a fun one to write to, that they fought back. They found a way to divert and get around the institution of slavery, a whole bunch of women in this one house. You know, I love that. I like all the stories when we talk about women in history, especially when you're talking about Southern history and you're talking about a black female. It is, it's a very empowering story. And that's something too that, that we even mentioned in the episode. We're, we don't know much about Mary Jane Richards. There are still things being uncovered today. And that is like a nerd, like me, that is a nerd's dream. This whole letter being found in Ohio that they believe was written by Mary Jane Richards. Mary Jane Bowser. Mary Jane Bowser. Richmonia Richards. Whatever name she went by. Finding that part of history, still uncovering those parts of history now are so, so fascinating. Dolly Madison, love that story. I also just like Libby McNamee a lot. She's so much fun to visit. And interesting, our interview with her happened right as the pandemic was unfolding. And it was sort of that day where we realized we weren't going to be able to interview people in person anymore. Right, Colton? But yeah, what a fun story that is. The hostess with the mostest, right? I know Rachel latched onto that line from the first email that Libby sent us. That one was a lot of fun to write most influential person in social circles in all of America, Dolly Madison. You could say that to somebody on the street, they would have no idea what you were talking about. But what a, what a wonderful character and, and woman in early DC to learn about, you know, kind of how we ended that segment. You know, she brought a new policy to DC politics and that was her kindness. I keep holding on to the portion of the story that by the time she met James Madison, he was already a founding father and she had a child and then became our first lady. I was really shocked by a lot of things in that story and the way she gathered women in to talk about politics. There's a lot about Dolly Madison that was really fascinating in that story. I was super shocked by all of the little things she dropped about Thomas Jefferson and how he would like answer the door barefoot and didn't have parties or whatever she said. He basically <laughs> cleared out the White House when he left and took all the furniture back to Monticello. That was great. 
No, the best part about Dolly is when they were fleeing and she saved the portrait of George Washington. I actually went home and told my husband, because that's really cool. I mean, if you go into the White House today, the portrait that she saved is still there. The Lee Monument. That was one we were looking forward to writing, dreading writing. We're looking back into the past to the day that the monument was unveiled, but there's so much in the present with that. And we had to weave that all together into this story. And Colt and I said, here you go, you write it. <laughs> yeah, Rachel conveniently for this one was like, here, you do the interview, you can write that. And my interview with Greg Kimball at the Library of Virginia was amazing. He kind of knew the ins and outs of all of it. I found that that's where our conversation went mostly towards was, was the now. Uh, we talked a little bit about kind of the actual unveiling in eight, 1890, but I was lucky enough to find uh, application uh, on the National Register of Historic Places, I believe, through the Department of Historic Resources in Virginia that gave an immaculate write-up about that day in Richmond in 1890 and kind of that whole history of that unveiling. So that's where much of that episode comes from is actually that application that I tracked down through DHR. So I hope that our listeners enjoyed our segment on the Lee Monument. Because being from Minnesota, if you just Google Richmond, Virginia, one of the first things that comes up is Monument Avenue. Kate, I know you're so excited about my Patrick Henry remix. Rachel is trying to audition for a role in Hamilton. <laughs> Sadly, Kate, I wrote that little Patrick Henry remix. Uh, Rachel, yes, put it together and masterfully mixed it as she claims. But she wanted to do something funky with that audio. I listened to it a few times, thought I had an idea for it, put it on the paper, and, and Rachel made it what it is. So I have to take some credit for those who really hated it. I'm part of that. If you hated it, I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. It's phenomenal. <laughs> Forbidden Almighty God! Let it come! Forbidden! I know not what course others may take, but as for me, Forbidden Almighty God! Let it come! Give me liberty! Oh, give me death! <laughs> Come on, y'all. The De Pompa remix needed just one more play. It was just long enough to fast forward 30 seconds. <laughs> we will be back in your life this fall with another season of How We Got Here. We are super excited to bring it to you. Thank you so much for all of your support and to our sponsors, the Virginia Museum of History and Culture and the Library of Virginia. This podcast is recorded by WWBT NBC 12 in Richmond, Virginia. If you like this podcast, please support local journalism. You can find stories like these from a little more recent history at NBC12.com. And if you don't mind, and you use Apple Podcasts, rate and review us. It really does help others find us. 
If you have any questions or ideas, email us at howwegothere at NBC12.com. We'll be back in your life this fall. I like that you guys have actual names on Zoom where I'm just Kate WWBT. Rachel, as the leader of this Zoom, can actually change our names to whatever she wants, but I shouldn't probably tell her that. What? I can mute Kate? As if I'm the one who needs to be muted. (laughs) 